Welcome to Tomato Tomato. This is episode 4.5. Yes. Am I correct? Yes. 4.5. So this is our second in what's going to be kind of a monthly recap of uh, a month of movies, kind of looking at the box office, the tomato scores, and any other little tidbits that we want to talk about. That's Chris, and I'm Jenna. And if you if this is your first episode, we usually look at one movie in particular, and we look at Rotten Tomatoes scores for that movie and three Rotten Tomatoes reviews for the movie, and just kind of use that as a jumping off point to talk about it. But then in this episode, we're going to talk more about just kind of the month in movies overall, and like a more kind of broad thing about the Rotten Tomatoes score and less about specific reviews. Obviously, I think uh, we can both agree the big winner of the month of June was Wonder Woman. Yay! Thank God. Obviously, we're both uh, very happy about that. <laughs> the last time we recorded one of these, we were like, God, we hope Wonder Woman does well. <laughs> like, that was just kind of our and, mood and the whole it, time. Yeah, and it exceeded, I think, everyone's expectations. Absolutely. Which is fantastic. I mean, it's sitting at 92% fresh. Uh, it made a bajillion dollars. <laughs> a bajillion. Uh, so, kudos to DC, Patty, and Gal. Yes. Uh, I mean, they earned it. Yes. I mean, we could endlessly talk about how much we love this movie. We almost did a full Wonder Woman episode, but then like our schedules got in the way, and we also were like, we could talk about this movie for six hours. So we, we thought just, it, would, it be, would be just us praising this movie. Yeah, and also looking movie. at, I think it was the Vulture review that like was absolutely misogynistic and insane. So we were going to talk about that one, but it would have also been like a six-hour episode. Like if you even just look at the like monthly box office, it's made. 318 million just domestically it's over 600 million worldwide i know because i've had to report on it like every other day for work basically and so like it has that high of a domestic score and then like the next highest thing underneath it is cars 3 with 98 million so it's like which isn't unsurprising yeah but it like the fact that wonder woman completely outperformed the rest of the month is like absolutely awesome so yeah, it, it's just blown everything out of the water. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was expected to have, you know, the Disney Pixar movie be stiff competition, the big kids market. Yeah. But it's domestic total uh, isn't even close to what Wonder Woman says. Granted, it's had a little more time. Yeah. But well, and also Wonder Woman had, I think it was like the fourth, like the best fourth weekend in DC movie history. Like it beat out the Dark Knight, which is pretty impressive. And in terms of like getting that much money, further weeks down the line like it's really hard for movies to consistently do so the fact that it's as high as it is in the box office week by week is like really impressive i mean it's really weird it's almost like if you make a movie by women starring women for women it's like they'll go see it wow what a concept yeah what we kind of touched on last month in our monthly review was kind of asking like do the critic scores and do the rotten tomato scores for particular movies have any effect on their box office and in with wonder woman's case i would say absolutely oh absolutely because i mean we both I'll remember coming off of BVS, those earlier reviews were not too good. And then Suicide Squad. Yeah, I remember the day that all the like the embargo lifted for Suicide Squad, and I just like logged onto Twitter, and my heart just sank. I was like, "Not again! No!" Yeah, two in a row. But then uh, this was the combo breaker. Oh God! But I really think that the the positive early reviews helped. But, it, but it's funny because the last two DC movies, uh, the hardcore 
pro DCEU fans were like, screw the critics. And now they had this 180. It was like, oh, we're with the critics this time. Well, I think part of it is also like critic acclaim helps a lot with this kind of genre to where I feel like having in order for the DCU to kind of maintain longevity and get the people who were kind of turned off by BVS and Suicide Squad and whatever, in order to get them back, I do think the critic reviews kind of have a hand in it. Critics do have a, a say and some power in whether people go see these movies or not. I don't think they're the deciding factor because sometimes these franchise movies just are dead on arrival. Yeah. Like another June release. <laughs> which <The> one? <laughs> yes. I was like, which one? Because there are multiple in this case. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, the Mummy is the one that stands out as kind of just the big flop. It wasn't that just Wonder Woman killed it in its opening weekend. It was just dead on arrival yeah because there's really no positive buzz for it because mommy came out a week after wonder wonder woman so like it was expected to kind of not hit number one i would say because wonder woman was was still riding the high that it was so i like but the fact that it has sunk down as much as it did is kind of it's it's fascinating because yeah the opening weekend was 31 million dollars and its total gross so far domestically is almost 69 million dollars nice it's tomato score it's at 16 percent in a 42 percent audience and that's not good for this dark universe they're trying to build. Well, and the critical consensus says, lacking the campy fun of the franchise's most recent entries and failing to deliver many monster movie thrills, The Mummy suggests a speedy unraveling for the dark universe. So yeah, it's just like, it's it's an interesting thing that this ended up being the thing that they were trying to start on because, like, that they were trying to start the whole dark universe on because... On one hand, I kind of, I I applauded it in a way. I was like, oh, you're starting with, like, technically a female monster movie. And, like, you're you're going to build this whole universe and have her kind of be the first thing that's seen in it. But then... Which we almost didn't have. Yeah, I I know. This before. But when they were developing this movie, originally the mummy was going to be a dude. (sighs) But then, wasn't it, like, X-Men Apocalypse? Yeah, so the the post credit scene for days of future past came out with uh a male apocalypse uh mummy egypt-esque stuff and so the screenwriter changed it to have a lady be the mummy so it was uh not the same as apocalypse which like <laughs> that's just kind of that's still fascinating to me honestly but like it yeah i feel like this movie there's so much about it that doomed it before it even hit the theaters like if you i can't remember who wrote i think it might have been variety either way we're going to link to it in the description for this episode but there was this whole um expose about the mummy movie and about how tom cruise basically had creative control over everything which is basically ghost directing. Yeah, which is fascinating to me. It's like, I, I totally could, like, as soon as I read it, I'm like, oh, of course he did. Like, that absolutely, I, I wouldn't have put it past him to do it, but it was just no. the fact that he, like, did it at that much of a scale and was just kind of like, yeah, this is fantastic. And, like, basically making all of the decisions on behalf of everybody else is, like, it's so weird to me that uh, that the star of something would control it that significantly to the point where like 
So the movie has like Funko Pops that they put out for it, but then the Funko Pop that was supposed to be of Tom Cruise's character, apparently he doesn't like his likeness being made into action figures, and he didn't really? like the fact that Funko Pops make him look short. So he <laughs> he made them discontinue it, but they put out like 50, I would say, like on store shelves by accident, and now they're worth like upwards of $500. I did not know that. So that that explains why people keep asking at work, well, <laughs> do you have the Nick Morton pop? Yeah. No, I've never seen one before. Exactly, because it's like it's like a holy it's like a holy grail to find it because it's like totally if you have one in stores, it's a complete accident because apparently Tom Cruise hates the the Funko Pop made him look short. <laughs> but yeah, he's already very very short well i know but yeah absolutely and it's just funny seeing how that extends into the whole movie and into just the the building of the dark universe and the total like it almost makes me wonder if the casting decisions that they've already made for the dark universe were partially influenced by like tom cruise's decisions well yeah because javier bardem uh Worked with Johnny Depp yeah. on Pirates recently, so there might be a connection there. It's like, yeah. hey, I'm going to be Invisible Man. You want to be Frankenstein? Sure, <laughs> let's work together again, kind of. I don't know, but... Yeah, I'm, all, I'm almost surprised uh, that there aren't more, like, Scientology people <laughs> being brought into the franchise, especially because, like, my mom and I have been watching the, like, Leah Remini Scientology documentary series, and it's just batshit insane. It's absolutely insane. to be the Bride of Frankenstein anytime soon. God, well, I, yeah, it would, be fu- it would be funny to kind of populate the whole universe with just, like, like fan cast the whole universe with Scientologists. <laughs> like, just throw, Don- throw John Travolta in as, like, the Wolfman or something I don't know <laughs> like that would just make that this it would just make this whole universe just like absolutely tank even more the Transformers last night man yes when you when you initially were like the big stinker of the month I'm like okay so is it the stinker from two weeks ago or the stinker yeah. from last week because the uh, they're, they're victim of diminishing returns I was just about to say that it's exactly what we said with pirates how, last month how many times can we watch giant robots and explosions and like, it's, uh, it's just even it's, having Anthony Hopkins in there can't save it. Every time I see a commercial, I'm just like Anthony Hopkins. What are you doing? Like, he's cashing a check. Yeah, but it's also just like it's such a weird departure for him to be like, I'm gonna get back into like being in popular things and acting. I'm gonna go from Westworld to this movie. Yeah, like it's, it's weird that he'll choose something very prestige. Uh, yeah, like Westworld, and very is so much better than. Transformers, but it's just it's so weird. And like I it, it always I always have to detach myself from the like the Transformers franchise that like that that Michael Bay has essentially created and remind myself that like this started out as a cartoon and like a line of toys. Like it's yeah. it's so like I, we've we've had to sit with so many of these movies existing for like two dec or like a decade and a half now, I would say. And like they just are I don't and like reaching new ridiculous heights. Yeah. Uh, I was just reading an article this morning from Vulture because uh, I saw the headline. It was so ridiculous. It was uh, Did the Transformers do enough to save the slaves? Oh my God. Those lines? Because apparently they worked with Harriet Tubman. Oh my God. Yeah. What? So this franchise is reaching new ridiculous heights. <sighs> yeah, no, we're possible. Oh, Jesus Christ. Like, like I thought this movie had already kind of jumped the shark with, like, the whole, like, Knights of the Round Table kind of imagery. Yeah. So, 
I saw comments online saying that the Transformers Last Night had more King Arthur lore and mythology than <laughs> King Arthur Guy Ritchie. King Arthur I believe it. I honestly believe it because, like, whoever wrote the script for Transformers at least like read a couple articles about mythology or whatever. Like, yeah. you can tell they skimmed the wiki, the Wikipedia page. Whereas, like, Guy, Arthur. whereas, like, Guy Ritchie might have done that too, but then he's also just like, I'm gonna be creative and throw everything out of the box and just like go for it. And it's like, okay, but you're making a history movie that now has, like, zero history behind it. Same with his Sherlock movies. It's like, okay, these characters are just called Sherlock and Watson. They're not acting like Sherlock and Watson. No, he's definitely more uh, style than substance. Absolutely. That said, he still should direct something in the DCEU. Like, I, I feel like with the right property, I, feel, I think he could do something really cool. Something he where it wouldn't... to Lobo at one point. Yeah. But, like, something where he wouldn't need to do all of that extra research and stuff. Something where someone's, like, already written the script for him and it kind of is, like, it's clearly capturing what the character is without having yes. to be, like, this big character study, I would say. But, yeah, going back to Transformers, the critic consensus, so it's it's at 15% rotten it's one percent i believe yeah one percent higher than um the mummy so i think it's the worst one out of the month as in terms of like big yeah. releases the audience score is 56 percent, and the total gross again it's only been out for like a week but the total gross so far is 68 around where the mummy is so that's yeah. crazy that the mummy's been out for three times as long and has only barely made what the Transformers made. I think just because, you know, you have the factors of Wonder Woman and Cars just buried the mummy. Yeah. And Transformers kind of has that already brand recognition. And if you were going to see Transformers, it, you know, the reviews weren't going to change your mind. You weren't going to go into it. Exactly. Uh, you were someone who thought that Kate Yeager was a decent name for a character. That's still, <laughs> like, every time I read that, I'm like, what the actual fuck? <laughs> like, how did we let this happen? <laughs> but so the critic consensus is um, thinly plotted and boasting state-of-the-art art special effects. The Last night is pretty much what you'd expect from the fifth installment of the Transformers franchise. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of the same thing we were saying before about, like, diminishing returns in a way. And also just, like, it has this core audience but it's also one of those things where it's like how many more movies are, go are you going to try to put out before you start losing more of that core audience because we'll Michael Bay has a dozen Transformers movies in development yeah because now they're trying to get their own cinematic universe launched yeah they're working on the Bumblebee spinoff which like it's interesting to me I almost can see that not succeeding to the level of like the MCU or the DCU or whatever, but I can see it sustaining by doing those more genre specific things of doing like, Oh, we're going to make a Bumblebee spinoff. That's like the iron giant. And we're going to make like this R rated transformers that focuses on this time period and whatever, yeah. like being more creative with it. I can see it kind of sustaining, but it's interesting how just like, just having these movies be directed by Michael Bay and having him kind of steer the whole ship now that he's going to essentially step down from directing, I feel like they could maybe do something to sustain. But for the meantime, it's just like yeah. pointless sequels that like no one really asked for. Like the the X-Men franchise, you know, you yeah. and Singer steering the ship for the longest time. And then you get Matthew Vaughn on first class and then, oh, wow. 
everything's revitalized. Yeah, and like we've gone from there to then having more like like James Mangold with Logan and like Deadpool and all of these movies where it's more and like New Mutants where it's more like directors taking things in a direction that can be different from the main franchise and but can still feel like a worthy addition to what's happening in the franchise. I think if Transformers wants to survive and not that they should listen to my advice because <laughs> they should just do Transformers versus G.I. Joe. Ooh. Just because, you know, you'll hit all the 80s kids and putting those two 80s properties together, it, it'll make money. Maybe not a lot. Yeah. But it'll make something. Yeah. That'd be just interesting. Because they're not doing anything with the G.I. Joe property right now. Uh-huh. They keep, just like, trying to reboot it every so often. Yeah. And they failed. Yeah. So, just, that would be interesting. Just, yeah, because uh, they're kind of doing that with the comics right now like they've thrown Transformers G.I. Joe Rom the Space Knight all together mm-hmm. and it's kind of worked so just do it in the movies yeah yeah I would totally I would be on board for that I feel like and it would totally capture the audience that they're wanting to sustain of like the more like I don't want to say mouth breather because that sounds like a condescending <laughs> word but it is kind of true of just like the very general audience appeal yeah. I feel like if they, they would be like, oh, my God, Transformers versus G.I. Joe, this is the best thing ever. Because it's like a platform for their own cinematic universe. Yeah. And it's like my childhood coming together. Oh, my gosh. Like then. then yeah. They see it's like you ruined my childhood. Yeah. Yeah. That's bound to happen. Um, but yeah. So looking at other big things from the month. So that like we've covered three of the four essentially like big releases. Um, so we can so we can cover the fourth one and then kind of touch on like smaller stuff. There's another quick one. Yeah. That I just want to touch on. Uh, I don't. Neither of us have seen it. Um, but it comes at night. Yes, I kind of I kind of want to see it almost. So. Uh, the way this movie was marketed, it was marketed as a horror movie. I know. And like, apparently it's really just it's like, not, yeah, it's everyone, like this yeah. drama. Everyone who I've talked to has seen it. And so that's, I think, one of those movies where the reviews and the marketing of the movie hurt the the box office turnout because well, the word of mouth came out and it's yeah. like, oh, this movie isn't what it what we thought it was and so that's why it didn't perform as well as people thought it would have yeah it's but it's still it's it's the ninth highest grossing movie for the month which i mean like isn't bad for a really small no. kind of indie horror but i would say the marketing influenced it more than the reviews because i feel like the the marketing made it look like a horror movie but then the reviews kind of went in and showed that it wasn't and then for the people who didn't want to see a conventional horror movie then finding out that it wasn't was kind of an added bonus because like if you look at the movie it has an 87 percent um certified fresh on rotten tomatoes but then like the audience score is 43 percent which i think is the thing of you were saying of like people who were disappointed because it wasn't what was advertised yeah but yeah it's like it seems like it's way more of a psychological horror. Like, I've, what I've understood is, like, the title basically references the anxiety that washes over you while you're trying to fall asleep, mm-hmm. like, more so than a specific monster, which I think is fascinating. But at the same time, I can see conventional, like, people who were expecting, like, the Babadook or It Follows to be, like, really disappointed. 
Where's my gay uh, monster? To the Babadook. Gay. Gay icon. Yeah, he's had a good month. He's had a good Pride Month. Yes, he has. <laughs> that is my favorite meme. And we should cover the Babadook just for the, the hell of it because I haven't seen it in years and I don't remember really liking it when I first saw it. So it'd be fun to revisit, to revisit it. It'd be fun to revisit and like talk about as just like a gay movie. That, I mean, it is, it's kind of fascinating how the smaller indies have really done we can talk about cars 3 but i think there's not really a whole lot to be said other than i will put links in the description to an article that i wrote for comicbook.com about how larry the cable guy thinks that cars 2 doesn't really exist in the cars canon which is like the it's the weirdest headline i've ever had to write but is also so fascinating and absolutely it makes, makes sense. sense but yeah so if you want to dive into that theory you can totally read it in the comments and and stuff because I, I felt pretty proud of writing that really weird article <laughs> but yeah the one thing I will say about Cars 3 though is that I've seen a lot of people saying that it's a really good um it almost was like a surprise like super feminist movie because it's more focused on like the girl cars and also I saw um I saw people kind of saying that like it's a good indication of how Disney can pass on the Captain America mantle when they need to because from what I understand I haven't seen Cars 3 but it's kind of like passing the like main character mantle from like lightning to like the girl car or whatever which is kind of interesting to me that that, that comparison is being made but like it, it's kind of it's cool tying that together and kind of in yeah all the marketing I've seen I haven't really seen the the female cars yeah uh, focused on it's mainly been lightning mcqueen which is kind of it's it's fascinating because then you like you go in to see it and you expect it to be really conventional and then it ends up being way more feminist and like that's kind of i love when movies are surprised like that where Me it's too. like oh shit this is kind of this is fantastic that this like threw in this whole big feminist storyline and is going to be like really empowering for girls and stuff yeah, so I accept this uh, movie dethroning Wonder Woman a little <laughs> bit more because of its uh, hidden feminist agenda. Yeah, like the fact that it, the fact that the like the two movies that did the best this whole month by far both have like very feminist, female-oriented plot lines is honestly unprecedented and like kind of fascinating that this that that's kind of what's ruling the summer so far. Cars's Rotten Tomato score is at 66% and the audience score is 76%. That's about what you would expect, honestly. I was expecting a little bit higher, honestly. Yeah, I feel like I don't I don't know if Cars is kind of another victim of diminishing returns. I think it's it kind of really is. It's been a popular. Yeah, and like Pixar. I feel like it's also part of those like audience reviews might also just be people who are just like, why is the third one of these really existing? And also yeah. kind of an extent of like, you haven't made Incredibles 2, but you've made three car movies. That is me. <laughs> and two plane movies. So, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that it's doing well, even though the Rotten Tomato scores wouldn't necessarily reflect that. But I'm glad that it, yeah. I'm glad that it's been doing well for the month. But yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so kind of going back because we kind of mentioned indie movies yes uh coming out this month and there's one that i know you are both super excited for it's getting a lot of good reviews we're fans of the people behind it um, you know what i'm getting at right yes the big sick yes so uh, it's currently fresh at 97 percent, which is amazing yeah well and it's currently it it premiered last week in five theaters i think is what yeah five theaters and it's already scored um 
half a million dollars, which was like, so it got the highest, um, like the highest per theater ratio of any movie this year, which is amazing. And like, I'm really glad that Kamala and Emily like can have that recognition and that title. It, it's same with, it's Mike Birbiglia who directed, right? I don't think so. No, it was, oh no, Michael Showalter. Yeah. I was like, Mike Birbiglia doesn't really direct. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, yeah, Michael Show Walter, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm ex- super excited for this. It has an 89 percent um, audience score. Yeah, just two rotten reviews. Good. Um, 76 fresh. Um, it's gonna have a wide release in like two weeks. Month. Yeah, in two weeks. So get ready for that because that is that's that's honestly like. It's exciting, and I'm glad. I love seeing like half of my Twitter feed just be like, "Go see this movie, please!" Like everyone's yeah, super invested. Yeah, I see tweet about it, I, I have that simultaneous feeling of like, "Yes, it's doing well," but I hate you because you've already seen it, and yeah. I haven't. I would say it was definitely the indie movie that's done the best this month in terms of like outperforming what people would have thought for the box office and and also like in terms of audience reviews and critic reviews but then there's also quite a few indie movies that have completely tanked i would say the tupac movie that came out earlier this month totally not on my radar no two weeks ago i didn't know it existed until my site started writing about it and i was like oh okay this is a thing but like it's made it's made money it made like it's at like 39 million dollars so far but like it has a 20 percent score on like a critic score on rotten tomatoes and a 64 percent audience score which is interesting that there's that much of a disconnect Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder, but a lot of what I've seen, the little that I've seen of reviews basically are saying that, like, it doesn't reflect reality, and it's just, like, is basically, like, a lifetime movie. But it's just, it's funny that it's made that much money for basically being, like, a wide release of a lifetime movie. Yeah, I feel like the audience score are from people who were already aware of this movie. Yeah. Are already fans of hip-hop, yeah. rap, and Tupac. Yeah. Uh, and so... Critic reviews or early Rotten Tomato scores were not really going to sway them. Yeah. Not to say that they have a bias or anything, but they weren't going to pay attention to that going into seeing this. Exactly. Yeah. And then, like, the other indie movies, like, um, 47 Meters Down, which, like, was only on my radar because they have, like, an installation at the movie theater that looks like a shark head. <laughs> and my mom was like, I want a picture that makes me look I'm eat- like I'm eaten by a shark. And I'm like, okay. But yeah. so, like, it it's made um, $24 million. And it's, the, the Rotten Tomatoes scores are kind of about what you would expect. They're at 54% for critics and 43% for fans. Which, I mean, kind of just means that it's just kind of like a stinker. Like, even the people who saw it were like, why did I see that? But it's just kind of, it's interesting to me that I I know I wouldn't see it because it looks kind of terrifying. But I definitely... more has This Is Us. Oh, boy. (laughs) Perfect for everyone to watch on planes and then not understand what's going on. Like what you had happened to you recently. Yes. Yeah. But, um, and then the, the third kind of surprisingly bad indie movie of the month is definitely the book of henry because yeah, that one is totally not on my radar <laughs> well it wasn't on mine either until everyone started freaking out about the fact that it's colin trevorrow's movie between like jurassic world and um 
Jurassic World 2 technically, but like it's it's the it's the movie that he directed before like it's the thing that's on people's radar before he then goes and does episode 9 of Star Wars. And so everyone was just kind of like, "Oh shit, if it's really that bad, then does he really need to be like involved with episode nine because as it sits right now it's rotten at 23 percent critics or critic score and then it has a 70 percent audience rating which is really weird that there's that much of a disconnect yeah because like i've read a ton of reviews for that movie or at least like tweets from the movie and there were people who like said it's basically the tone of it is almost on par with like the room in terms of like not understanding how society works and how life works and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, so the critic consensus uh, for Book of Henry uh, deserves a few points for ambition, but its tonal juggling act and a deeply maudlin twist may leave viewers gaping in disbelief rather than choking back tears. Because like, from what I understand of the plot, it's a weird concept that should not be a movie. Cause which is interesting because you look back at Safety Not Guaranteed, which yeah. is kind of a weird concept. But it, I enjoy that one a but lot. it's like a fun concept. It's like a, yeah. it's like a, it has good intentions. Whereas like this one is like this pretentious kid that like wants his mom to become a hitman. I'm like that. Why does this exist almost? <laughs> but so it's it's fascinating to me that um, that the movie has done as badly as it has. Let me see what it made in the box office. It's made three million dollars so far but it's only had a very small release it's only opened at like 600 theaters but it's still not a good sign i would say no i wonder if there's going to be some disney executives right now just panicking biting their nails after the whole i uh, saw (laughs) i I saw a a meme the night that that happened that was like it was like Kathleen Kennedy, no wait, you got the card wrong, and it was the the like Oscars, like the guy from La La Land ho- holding up the moonlight yeah. card, but then instead it says Colin Trevorrow. Like, no wait, you meant to fire Colin, and instead you fired Lord and Miller. But so yeah, I guess we can kind of wrap this up talking about that, about like the whole director thing, because it ties into what we were saying earlier with the whole like Tom Cruise creative control sort of thing. Like, the biggest movie news of the month was essentially that the Han Solo directors got fired. and three weeks left in filming principal photography. And now Ron Howard of Arrested Development fame. That's, like, what I mainly consider him as. Um, Which is funny, because he was originally approached... By Lucas to direct Phantom Menace. Yeah, like he so he's had a full circle. He's had a huge tie to Lucas. I think before Lucas even started Star Wars, like he he's been involved in his stuff for a while, even before Star Wars was even like a viable yeah. franchise. Which is like it's good that he's there to take it over. I don't think he'll drastically change the movie a lot, but at the same time, it's like. All of the behind the scenes stuff for this movie is fascinating because discussions like that almost have never become this public. No. To and where. A lot of, like, I've seen a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Like, I heard um, when Ron Howard was announced that the crew kind of just erupted into applause. Oh, wow. I, yeah. It was announced that, like, the Lord and Miller were let go. Oh, jeez. Because I, uh, I heard that they were kind of overwhelmed. And they were just being ghost directed by uh, the Kasdan. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that. Like, I've heard that they tried to ve- be very distinct with their directing style, and then they like totally. It, it apparently didn't really 
gel with what the rest of like the the well oiled machine that Star Wars was trying to have for that movie. Which so, also like uh, if you're gonna hire someone like it's Lord and Miller to direct your movie, you already know their style. Yeah. Their, what what they're known for. I mean, it's Lego movie 21 and 22 jump street. So, you know what they're about and then you hire them and then you see what they do. And it's like, Oh, I don't like that. Well, and like, I feel like Lucasfilm has had like a recent precedent of that too, because with Rogue one, it was kind of similar where like, like Gareth, Gareth Edwards didn't get fired, but he, um, like someone they, else took over for the reshoots. Yeah, which is like I didn't really know that until recently when um when all of this like Han Solo stuff was coming about, but it's just kind of it's fascinating to me that um that they're that much into having creative control to where like it, it almost makes me a little less optimistic about the idea of like a woman going in to direct a Star Wars movie or like a person of color with like a super distinct style whereas like Marvel and DC have very much let like you're a director with a creative vision and we want you to take that creative vision and apply it all over this movie I feel I like counter that like I, I agree with you but yeah when we look at someone like Rick Fromiea yeah who was going to take on Flash who was a person of color and he was dropped. Well, but I feel like I feel Flash. like part of that. I feel like Flash has been an issue where the script, something about the script, or like the initial draft of it, just did not sit with Lord Miller. Yeah, but something about it did not sit with all of these directors that came in with it, and I think that's part of it. I and I, I could also see it possibly being like about casting the villains and maybe there was some sort of disconnect with that or like what kind of goal the movie needed to have. I feel like I feel like there was this issue of not really obtaining a cohesive idea of what the movie should be whereas like but I mean I would agree with what you're saying to an extent but then we also have like James Wan directing Aquaman so it's it's an, an ex- it's an example of like a person of color who's very much like it, putting his style on the movie and being very successful with it and creating a thing that is like seemingly going really really well yeah it, it, overall it'll be interesting to see how what the critical reception is to Han Solo yeah. with all this director fallout. Well, and like, I've also and seen that like, there was an article yesterday about how apparently Lucasfilm wasn't happy with like the guy that they have playing Han Solo. Like yeah, they had to get an acting coach. Yeah. I'm like, ugh, it's just, it's, it's interesting to me. I didn't really want this movie to happen. Say, I, I would have much rather Obi-Wan this to be a Donald Glover. Oh Lando yeah, movie. yeah. Make it a Lando movie. Make it make an Obi Wan movie. Make make just a movie about smugglers, and then just throw in a Han Solo cameo. Like you don't yeah. need a Han Solo origin story necessarily, but it's like the I was I wasn't excited about this movie until the supporting cast was built out around it, and like that's still going to be a big reason why I go see the movie is because of that yeah. cast. But at the same time, it's like. I'm I'm not really still sold on the guy that's the lead, and especially now hearing that Lucasfilm wasn't sold on him either. Like it seems like no one's really sold on this movie at all. Yeah, From the studio to the casting crew, it's it's almost really like yeah, it's almost like they and they can't pull the plug on it because there's three weeks it, left, and now maybe. yeah, D twenty three this year. 
Oh, very interesting. It'll be so interesting. I'm so sure we'll gonna, get like we're a. We're going to keep our eyes on that. Yeah, we'll get like a poster or something for it. We'll not get like any real footage because whatever footage that they have, they're probably like retooling the hell out of now that they're like not really certain about Lord and Miller being involved with the movie, which is interesting because I've heard a whole thing now about like how do directing credits and how do like awards recognition and stuff work when a director leaves the movie in the middle of yeah. production? Hold DJ. Yeah. It's, so let us know what you know in the comments down below. Yeah. Yeah. What do let you us know what you think in the comments down below? It's a, uh, it's a hot mess. It is. It absolutely is. But yeah. So, so that's basically it for this month's movie roundup. Um, next month is going to be interesting because we have Spider-Man. We have. Planet of the Apes. Dunkirk, oh yeah. Yes. A lot of good stuff. Yeah. So it should be fun as well. Um, so if you like this episode, you can go back and listen to our previous ones. Um, if you really like this episode, rate and review us on iTunes. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Chris Vito. Where can the people find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Hey It's Jenna Lynn, and also on Instagram, but I barely use it, and I'm trying to use it more. <laughs> um, we'll but get better at it. Yes, we will. But yeah, and then you can find us on Twitter at Tomato Tomato Pod. Um, so tweet at us, you know, just let us know what you think about movies. Give us a follow. We'd really appreciate it. So, yeah. Um, is that it? Yeah. Cool. Thanks for listening. All right. Until next time, keep watching movies. Bye. Bye.